Hi, it's Ellen, and today we're going to be talking about the political situation in Germany after the Great Depression. So firstly, the best thing which we can measure as historians is the elections after the Depression. So there were five national elections between 1929 and 1933, four of which were elections for the Reichstag, and one was a presidential election. During this time, voters turned towards extremist parties on both the left and right wings of politics, and it became apparent that coalition governments were nigh on impossible. Political parties in Muller's coalition government represented different interest groups with conflicting demands. Parties wanted to protect their voters from cuts in government spending. Farmers, for example, wanted high food prices, but workers wanted low. Businesses that exported wanted free trade. Those supplying to domestic markets wanted protectionism. Muller could not get his financial bill through the Reichstag, and he asked Hindenburg to use Article 48, but the president refused. And as such, Muller was forced to resign. From March 1930, there was government using presidential decree. For example, Chancellor Brüning depended on Hindenburg's use of Article 48 to push through his policies. This reflects the inability of coalition governments to agree on policies. So what were the election results in 1928 and 1930? We can see the contrast in these two years as they surround the Great Depression. In May 1928, the Nazis saw the biggest increase from 2.6% of the vote in May 1928 to 18.3%. And as such, they were the second biggest party in the Reichstag. In September 1930, the KPD's vote rose from 10.6% to 13.1%. On the same time, the SPD's vote fell from 29.8% to 24.5%. The DVP and the DNVP saw their votes roughly halved. In July 1932, the Nazis saw a dramatic rise in support, becoming the largest single party in the Reichstag, with 37.4% of the vote. Similarly, the KPD's vote rose to 14.5%. In contrast, the SPD's vote fell about 25%. This shows the clear trend of moving away from moderate parties and supporting extremist ones. For example, apart from the Zentrum, all other parties saw their vote fall especially in their interest parties. In November 1932, the KPD's vote rose to 16.9%, the DNVP rose from 6.2% to 8.9%, and the DVP from 1.2% to 1.9%. In contrast, the Nazis' votes fell to 33.1%. In March 1933, Hitler was already Chancellor. All parties' votes declined, but the Nazi parties, whose vote was 43.9%. By this time, anti-Weimar parties controlled the Reichstag. So I know that was a lot of numbers there. So just to cover what we discussed, in 1932 elections, in July 1932, the KPD's vote was 14.5%. The SPD's vote fell about 25%. In November 1932, the KPD's vote rose to 16.9% and the DNVP rose from 6.2% to 8.9%. And if we consider the Nazi party in the 1932 elections, 
We know that they saw a dramatic rise in July 1932, becoming the single most largest party in the Reichstag, with 37.4% of the vote. However, in November 1932, the Nazis' vote fell to 33.1%. I think this is quite an interesting statistic because it shows that there was a decline in support for the Nazis, so things might have turned very differently if Hitler had not become Chancellor through the Backstairs Agreement. So what were the governments like during the Depression? Moon and Bruning's coalition governments were fragile and the Chancellor struggled to get through their policies. Eventually, Article 48 became the only way to circumvent the internal divisions within the Weimar governments. We've already discussed Muller's government and how he faced issues with various interest groups. And if we consider Bruning's government, we know that the Zentrum party succeeded Muller. He was supported by the army and leading German industrialists. Bruning used Article 48 to pass his finance bill. And Bruning continued government despite massive gains by the Nazi party in September 1930. So we know that Bruning continued in government despite the gains of the Nazi party in September 1930. And we know that he was supported by the army and leading German industrialists. How Bruning used Article 48 to pass his financial bill and that Bruning was hurt from the Zentrum party. So what were Bruning's policies after the Depression? We know that he tried to reduce the impact of the Depression on German society. And ultimately, he lost support from the elite and was forced to resign because Hindenburg disagreed with his policies. Firstly, he wanted to attack paramilitary groups. As we know, as unemployment grew, so too did political violence. Bruning banned both the SA and the RF, which were the Nazi party's communist and paramilitary organisations. Bruning also wanted to tackle deflation. For example, prices, wages, welfare payments and rents also decreased. Business profits fell, which left, led to him losing the support of industrialists. Bruning's policy of giving land from bankrupt Juncker estates to unemployed workers lost him even more support. And, most importantly, it lost him his chancellorship. As Hindenburg himself was a Juncker, he refused to sign Bruning's emergency decrees, and as such, Bruning had to resign in April 1932. Ultimately, Bruning's government fell, not because of a no-confidence vote in the Reichstag, but because Hindenburg himself did not approve of his choice of policies. So how do historians assess Brüning's governments? Fuchswanger in 1995 said, Brüning was the last chancellor to govern with any kind of constitutional legitimacy. Bracher said that Brüning was not the last chancellor before the breakup of the Weimar Republic, but the first chancellor in the process of destroying German democracy. Hyten Hinton in 2000 stated, Bruning lost office because he had lost President Hindenburg's support. And Mommsen in 1991 blamed Bruning for deliberately worsening the economic crisis and thus creating the conditions that only Hitler understood to exploit. As we can see here, there's quite a range of opinions from historians and it's up to you to decide which one you agree with you might need to use some evidence to balance out these decisions. So to cover Bruning's downfall, 
it was clear that it was about his land policy and how he tried to give land from bankrupt Junkers to unemployed workers. Given Hindenburg's background as a Junker himself, this caused him to oppose Bruning's policies. And as he refused to grant him Article 48, Bruning was forced to resign in April 1932. And finally, if we go back to those numbers in the elections, which I know are very tricky, just to cover, we know that the SPD vote fell from 29.8% to 24.5% in the 1930 election, whereas the KPD's vote rose from 10.6% to 13.1%. And in just covering some of the perspectives which we discussed before about Bruning, Fuchswanger in 1995 had a fairly optimistic view of his government, stating that he was the last chancellor to govern with any kind of constitutional legitimacy. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast um, about the politics in Weimar Germany during the tumultuous time of the Great Depression. In the next episode, we're going to be discussing the appeal of extremism as we cover the rise of the Nazis and communist parties. If this episode has got you in the mood for more revision, then head over to SenecaLearning.com where you can revise all of your A-level subjects absolutely free. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, then you will find a link in the bio But if not, just type in SenecaLearning.com and you'll find us. While you're at it, if you could rate us five stars and subscribe or follow to all of our revised podcasts, which cover every subject you need, then that will help other people to find our podcasts.